This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Terrence. You're still muted, buddy. Hey, Terrence. all right, sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I had my microphone muted, and I just now stopped laughing because I was almost dying of laughter when Rob made the comment of, what did you say? He, uh, no, I can't even say it. Uh, oh, I can't even say it without, like, dying laughing. You were so... That's, that's not funny. Why are you laughing? Yeah, why are you laughing? Exactly. <laughs> you're, no, that, that's not funny. A reason, I don't know why you're laughing. There was something even funnier than the what, crack mobile with. What, was uh, it the Was it the fingering? Yeah. I, as soon as I said it, I knew I shouldn't yeah. have said it. I'm like, oh you're, man. You're, and I was like, I love that part. I know. You were so serious, and you're like, uh, finger throated him, if you will. <laughs> it was like, if you will, part at the end of it. Like, yeah. He finger throated him. Like, right. Oh, gosh. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. You like the Drake? I love the Drake. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake, through the 90s and 2000 Robin series, Red Robin, Young Justice, and Teen Titans, and from time to time taking a look at the modern era of Tim Drake in the pages of DC Comics, while also talking about other Robin and Batman happenings in the world. So sit back and relax and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers. Welcome to episode 80. The show, of course, is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. We also are partnered with the Batman Universe Podcasting Network at batmanpodcastnetwork.com so you can get a hold of us there on those two networks the batman universe and the batman podcast network and speaking of getting a hold of us you can get a hold of us at facebook.com slash everyone loves the drake we are on twitter at eltd podcast we are on instagram and if you are watching this on youtube you can see us on YouTube and see me doing this intro right now because I'm pointing at a camera for the people watching on YouTube. But if you're hearing it in your earphones, you're not getting that I'm pointing at you unless I do this. Okay, there. I just pointed at you. Uh, so we're on YouTube. And as I'm recording this, I think we're up to 107 subscribers. So thank you to everybody that has subscribed to the YouTube channel. And we're putting up more content literally right now at this very minute. 
putting up content as I'm recording this. So if you're only hearing the episode and you're like, wait a minute, Rob recorded something visually that I can see and I can see all his crap in his room. Yes, you can. So go head over to the YouTube page and uh, see what Terrence and occasionally myself will put up on the YouTube page. You can also email into the show at Robin ELTD podcast at yahoo.com. Ah, so as the YouTubers just heard, but you guys haven't heard, uh, this is again, one of our classic, uh, edits into the show or, or intros. This isn't a re-recording. Uh, the last episode 79, we had done, uh, the first two parts of the, uh, King snake story that ended with Robin 18. So as we were doing the episode, we thought, well, we'll do this as one giant episode. And by the time we got to the end of the letter section, we kind of saw the counter on the uh, clock and we're realizing that we were pushing almost two hours into the podcast and we were going to record uh, Robin 19 as a separate small little episode. So we had the idea of we'll just cut the episode up into two smaller chunks. We will record a, a small intro at the beginning of it and we'll kind of tie in some Batman day stuff. Terrence and Ryan had uh, actually a little bit of rain uh, headed their way. So obviously uh, with the hurricane coming in, they didn't do much at all for Batman day. I was in Amish country getting comic books and different things from some antique dealers. And I managed to find a Norm Brayfogle signature for a dollar there. So I've been posting pictures up on the Twitter page, the Twitter page on the Twitter account. You can see there and also over at everyone loves the Drake Facebook page. So you can see all that stuff there. I got some stuff signed by Tom Grummet, which again, if you're following uh, Instagram or Twitter, a friend of mine went to a Cincinnati comic expo and was able to uh, meet Tom Grumman. I said, hey, if you're going to the convention, can you take some books? And he signed uh, some books for me there, which was really cool. So it would have been great to be there, but it was my wedding anniversary. My wife had booked uh, an Amish weekend for us. Not that I became Amish, but we went and bought a bunch of cheese and meats and jams and jellies, which was a lot of fun. But some of the our anniversaries happened to fall on concerts that maybe I really wanted to go to more than my wife, or we did a convention around a wedding anniversary. So I thought, mm, I'm not going to do that to her again. This was something she really wanted to do. So we had a weird Batman day with uh, all three of us, but something I did do is a wedding anniversary gift that my wife had got for me was the DC universe app that just recently launched on Batman day. I think it actually launched on the 14th instead of the 15th, which was kind of cool. It's like the 15th was my wedding anniversary. Batman day was the 15th. And so it was kind of cool that once we got in the hotel, my wife's like, well, you got your app. Happy Batman day, happy anniversary day. So I was able to kind of watch some stuff. And the very first thing that I did was I searched Tim Drake. So if you're watching this on YouTube, I don't think I'm going to be able to put it up here, but let's see if I type in red Robin. There's an encyclopedia page, and so I'm going to pull up my camera here for the YouTube page. So this is going to be really kind of funny here. So hopefully this will work right that you can see. So if you have the app, I'm sure some of you, Everyone Loves the Drake fans, have done this already. And I thought this might be a short little blurb because I wanted to see how much Tim Drake stuff was going to be here. So I've got my New 52 Red Robin shirt, or well, New 52 Teen Titan shirt on, excuse me as I'm recording this and as much as we say, Oh, I, Scott Lobdell. Yeah. It's not our, our favorite on the podcast, but um, there's a lot of new 52 
Teen Titans in here and also some you know, classic Robin stories. They're not putting like every single comic book up there, but they're saying they're curating, which means it's kind of like Netflix. They'll put a series of books up. Then after a couple months or so, they'll take those down, put a new batch up. So you may have to kind of read through stuff a little bit earlier, or they'll put the first part of a trade up. And then say, hey, if you like the rest of this, go buy the actual physical trade. So it'd be kind of cool if it was all just bam, all up there and you're paying for the service. Um, I did buy the Justice League animated Batman figure there. No accessories. It's just the figure. It's $28 plus shipping makes him $35. I don't think I'm going to buy the whole entire line. I really kind of want the Aquaman figure, but you can kind of see if you're watching YouTube, I've got there's Bane sitting right over there. The Batmobile is just off to the side. That's the 66 Batmobile right there. But anyway, got my animated series figures there. So I thought, well, I have the standard Batman BTAS, the new Batman adventures. And now I kind of want the Justice League Batman. So I have every version of Batman. I've got every version of Robin that's animated. So I thought, well, at least I'm going to get that one. So this was pretty cool that it says uh, former Robin Tim Drake possesses detective skills, uh, those of his mentor Batman. Through his heart, may be his strongest weapon. So, I was going to read all of this, but there is a long, lengthy read of Tim Drake's history, going all the way from his very beginning in Batman uh, 436, all the way through New 52 to James Tynion's run, Chuck Dixon's run, Red Robin. So, there's a really long read here that at the time I was reading this, I thought, oh, I'll read this on the podcast. Uh, it's worth just checking out on your own. I think this may be something I'll maybe put up screen caps if people want to see, but this is everything that uh, we talk about on the show. I like the app. I think it's really cool. I haven't had a chance to delve into quite a few things yet, but uh, I'm really happy about uh, purchasing the app. And it was a, a cool Batman day, cool anniversary. And I got a few things after the fact and found an autograph by Norm Brayfogle. So my Batman day was actually pretty cool. So now that I've rambled on long enough and I've talked for 32 minutes on the live video, and I'm going to clearly have to do some editing if you're watching this live video, but this is where we're going to get into the show. And we are going to wrap up the last part of our Chuck Dixon Kung Fu Theater. You're listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake and welcome to the show.
And the final part for the King Snake story is found in Detective Comics 686. And the information can be found again on Mike's Amazing World. And the information goes as follows. The cover date is June 1995. The on-sale date is April 25th, 1995. Cover price, again, $1.95. The editor is Scott Preston. The title, The Winged Dragon. The writer is Chuck Dixon. Again, Stephen Lieber is the penciler. The inker is Klaus Jansen. The letter is John Costanza. And the colorist is John Willington. And also, again, the penciler is Graham Nolan and Klaus Jansen on the inks on the cover. So let's pick up from the synopsis where we left off last time in the final chapter of this King Snake story. And here we go. War of the Dragons, Part 3, The Winged Dragon, Detective Comics. After being attacked by the Silver Monkey, Batman reapproaches Robin for letting the Huntress meddle in the Asian gang war. Batman tells Robin they don't need the help of an amateur vigilante as they have already have someone with experience working against the gangs. Batman is referring to Nightwing. Batman and Robin track down Cake Snake to prevent him from being killed by the Silver Monkey. When the duo arrive at the Gotham docks, they face the Ghost Dragons. Batman tells Robin to go after King Snake. He stayed to handle the Ghost Dragons. Batman was soon outnumbered, and his final opponent was Lynx. Robin found King Snake fighting the Silver Monkey. Robin tried to fight against the Monkey, and as well, his efforts were futile. In a desperate attempt, Robin threw the Silver Monkey into the sea and ended up falling along with the King Snake as well. Batman saved Robin before he fell into the water. King Snake was taken prisoner, and the Silver Monkey was at large, and Lynx is now the head of the gangs in Chinatown. This was possible due to an arrangement between Batman and Lynx. Batman let her run Chinatown if she let him out of the docks alive. The Asian gang war ended. Batman and Robin returned home, tired but with the situation under control. All right, so let's move into Detective 686, and this is one of those times I really wish the cover on the comic does happen in this. I love, oh, I, my gosh. I love this cover. I love seeing Batman, Robin, Nightwing, and Huntress all kind of boxed in together like this is the last stand. We're going to take on everybody together. Graham Nolan does such a wonderful job on this, and Nightwing... I think everybody looks really great on this, but Nightwing looks totally badass in this costume with his ponytail and spoilers, three, two, one, this does not happen at all in the issue. I, I remember picking this up and going, oh, great, Nightwing's in this issue. And Nightwing's in the issue and plays a minor part and looks really good in it, but this does totally not happen. So I absolutely love the cover, but I'm disappointed we don't get this in the issue at all. Terrence. I wonder if because the cover artists on all three issues were not the interior artist, I wonder if that's why the covers are different. Like maybe they just yeah. didn't get a lot of information about the story and just said, oh, yeah, it's got these characters draw something. Or maybe they got an early draft of the script that Chuck was working on and then he had to make changes for it. I do think... Uh, <laughs> or if it's just comics and they don't... Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, just, yeah, there's that. <laughs> just make it look good. Once again, Lynx is so weird because she looks completely different. And in Robin 17, she's got like a red halter top on uh, over like a, a shirt. Here, it looks like she's wearing like a red bra over the shirt. And then later on in the issue, it's like really drawing, drawing where she's got like... Just a black bra, black bra on yeah. it. I'm like, did her shirt rip open? Is this what? Is it colored wrong? Like, was it supposed to be a halter top? It's it's really weird, her wardrobe and how she changes so much. But yeah, I agree with you. This would have been an amazing moment in the comic if it actually had happened. Ryan. 
Yeah, so like I, I alluded to this earlier in the episode where I was talking about <laughs> um, uh, covers that don't ma- match the story that's inside, and this is this is it. This is I did not own this issue uh, before we were going to record this uh, episode. I had everything. I had the other the first two, but I had to actually go out. Uh, to my comic store and find this issue. And when I saw the cover, I'm like, oh man, this looks so badass. Like we've got all these four characters right. like surrounded by all these villains and you've got the silver monkey and Lynx and King snake and all these people. Oh, it's going to be so good. And then when I, so I was looking forward to this third act or whatever, third part and reading it, I was like, well, hold on a second. They just kind of yell at Huntress and tell her to go away, and then she literally doesn't show up for the rest of the issue. And then they <laughs> right. kind of mention Nightwing, and then he kind of shows up for a couple pages and does his own thing that's unrelated that you could cut out of the story completely, and it wouldn't matter. And he never shows up again. And like I, I was getting toward, <clears throat> towards the end of the issue, I'm like, wait, Nightwing's going to come back, right? They're all going to fight together, right? And like that never happens. And I'm like, I was a little, the story's good, but man, it's kind of misleading when you see a, a cover as cool as this, a Graham Nolan cover, and then uh, it, it does not get paid off in the, in the story at all. Well, even just like the part you were talking about where Batman's very dismissive of Huntress, I forgot how long this thread of Huntress being inexperienced, she's a novice, she's going to get yeah. herself hurt, Like that runs all the way into No Man's Land, and we're still a good chunk of the way before we yeah. get to no man's land and she's got to go and what's interesting to me is that like you know batman picks up his same feelings having having not been batman for a long time like this is how he felt w- way right. years earlier before nightfall i kind of wondered like well maybe the status quo has changed a little bit batman like maybe he should be asking questions but he just kind of picks up his old feelings like right away yeah so i think kind of like the the new methods, new attitude speech that Batman gave in the cave to Dickon. Tim didn't last real long, and like you said, we're, we're right back kind of to the old status quo of Bruce doesn't trust anybody but himself half the time, and the only other person he really trusts is Dick and then Tim. So it, even those two are out. So it, it was a nice line to for him to say, yeah, we've got somebody else in Gotham, and it's Nightwing. I would have liked to think that there was going to be more here rather than, unless it was something more of like, we haven't been able to play and use with Nightwing since he was in the Titans for so long, so now any right. chance we can get him into a Bat book to do something, I don't know if like there's, like, you've got to have Nightwing so many times throughout, or somebody else can use him. So, right. maybe... Like, they're just trying to maybe slowly reintroduce him into the books and stuff. Yeah, or just... I don't know, but, you know, they had him in heavily after Nightfall and Prodigal. Right, like yeah, that, so. exactly. So, this may be enough for people to go, hey, i like to see Dick as Nightwing, because his solo series has not happened at this time, I believe. Because I think he gets the miniseries right. of him getting Alfred back from London before the Nightwing series start you guys have anything to say about the nightwing section here i think we've probably pretty much yeah but i had a question for you guys first real quick where where did the batman's hatred for huntress or his anger or or all that come from because this comes out in 96 i started reading comics in 89 uh, and when i started reading in 89 he was already like a jerk to her and i always thought like oh this must have happened in something before i started reading comics and I never really quite got that. And then the further back I went, it turned out, oh, wait, Huntress was Helena Wayne, his daughter. And then it got all changed with the, uh, you know, crisis and all that. With the Bertinelli. And, and yeah. Like so that, so yeah. what were you going to say, Ryan? Do you, do you know, like, where well, that actually he, happened? I was going to say, isn't there a Detective Comics arc that Dixon did? Or is it 
also not in the Robin Three Cry of the Huntress. Is is some of that in there? I think. I think there's a I mean, little bit of that in there, but I think it's more from the point of view that Tim says, "I know Bruce doesn't want me working with her, but Bruce isn't here, so I've got to go to the next." But book. that is definitely in Cry of the Huntress because yeah. Robin was working with Huntress, and he's like, oh, "I don't think Batman's going to like this." Right? But he does it anyway. Yeah, yeah. it had he had already. They'd already established when I started reading in '89 that he didn't like yeah. the Huntress, and I never knew why. And I thought maybe because she yeah. killed, or at, but maybe she, but I don't know. Um, yeah, and there's also that three issue arc we we covered a while back that was, uh, you know, that had Robin and Huntress working together. Right. Yeah, it's true. And then so, uh, Rob, I, wa- I did want to make a point. What you had mentioned about Nightwing is if you listen to Nightwing's dialogue here. It's very different than Tim Drake's dialogue. Like he's doing the classic yes. traditional. I'm doing air quotes. Classic here, Robin. Br- yeah. Robin of you know. I don't know what scares me more. All those guns are your fashion sense. You know. Come on, guys, he's get a clue. Playing with the yeah. enemies. Yeah. Ooh, now you're in trouble. You set off a car alarm. These are all these like little quips he makes. You know. Oh, don't everybody thank me at once as they're laying there, and. That is so different than Tim Drake, but when we did our um, uh, Robin and Impulse issue, like this is how <laughs> they wrote yeah. Tim Drake in the beginning. I think he was making quips about like, um, oh, I learned this move from Tom Cruise and that kind of stuff. Right. And it, yeah. it sounded like this, not like Tim. But I do like it. I mean, I like that Dick does this. I like that this is Dick's personality. But I see where writers who are inexperienced with the character default to this Robin and not, yes. you know, what he had become. Yeah, that that was going to be my takeaway. Like somebody that does it used to writing Robin. Oh, Robin is this like Robin's like Spider-Man. So you can kind of like generalize all three or at this point, all two Robins together that are still around and go, oh, this is kind of how they act. Or I remember Robin from the 60s TV show. He was so funny. So. Yeah, I think that's more of inexperience to the character as opposed to just like, oh, we're just going to do the stereotypical Robin, doesn't matter. Uh, we see, uh, I bought some Professor Bullock, <laughs> uh, Harvey Bullock here, Commissioner. Just, just You just struck gold. <laughs> just the thought of Harvey Bullock teaching I know, a I'm like, class, there's a, like, a mini, oh a mini God, series right yeah. now. Oh my gosh. Teaching forensic or something. Yo, I'm your <laughs> Professor Bullock. Yeah, in that, in I'm going to teach you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to teach you some New York, something. I, some, New York accent. Somebody comes in. I didn't do my homework, but here's a box of donuts. You just got an A, kid. Yeah. <laughs> Get in the back. Yeah. Uh, it writes itself. Yeah. <laughs> I always like to believe when I was watching uh, the Columbo TV show that that was Harvey Bullock. I'm like, yeah, if Harvey Bullock was going to be played by somebody, it would have been Peter Falk. So <laughs> That's who I, – I, I am still waiting for a good Harvey Bullock on film. That's – Matt Reeves doesn't do that, then I'm not going to like that movie. He needs he needs to do Harvey Bullock, man, in Montoya. Yeah, I definitely want a Harvey Bullock. Let's let's petition that. My question is, and I can't remember, I'm going to get booed for this, what was the events that caused Commissioner Gordon to not be Commissioner Gordon? Was it a step down? And I was ser- going to ask you that, because I, I don't remember... Because it's, I don't think it's been in the issues we've covered on the show. No. Okay, I can tell else. you guys because I read that in that. Ooh. So, <laughs> Commissioner Gordon has lost trust and faith in Batman because of the whole Nightfall, Night Quest, you know, and he's not sure who he Batman is. Or when I say Commissioner Gordon, I mean James Gordon here, not his wife. And so the mayor is pushing 
Jim Gordon to have a closer relationship with Batman, to work with Batman, to to have Batman as a part of it. And Gordon is refusing because of the broken trust. And so he gets pushed out by the mayor in favor of Sarah Essen, uh, who they had established that they were having marital difficulties. I think, Rob, you remember we were talking about how some of the dialogue was was out of character for Batman to to say, oh, you're sleeping on your couch and all this. Uh, and so that that was the the push out of um, Gordon because he wouldn't work with Batman. Ha ha! How's that for a role reversal? <laughs> yeah. So that covers it then. I I was trying to remember. Like I don't think we covered it on the show, or it's more what Ryan said. It just wasn't in the books that we had. So yeah, that makes more and it sense. makes me want to go back and just read all this Chuck Dixon detective run too because I think there's probably a lot of good stuff in here that I'm missing. Yeah, and I think it's going to be stuff that our seeds are could be a little throwaway line in one book that sets up something major in another book. And I think this is definitely one of those things. Uh, something that I really like is Batman and Robin doing detective work in the Batcave. But what I like even more sometimes is that they're actually using the Batmobile as something other than a transportation device and that they're using the Bat computer and Robin sitting in the passenger seat and they're going through the information trying to figure out uh, which way they go. Batman is still bloodied and bruised because this is all happening in one night here, which I think is pretty cool. This kind of, this scene moves a little quicker with getting to the docks where everything is going to take place. And then there's a fight in Chinatown. You can kind of tell on page uh, would be 10 here looking at it that Batman kind of knows everything is ramping up here and he's kind of forcing to me, I would have thought this would have been switched. Like Batman's going to take the ghost dragons. They've got their location. He's going to send Robin to watch out for, for the big guys, for the, for the big guys. Yeah. So, and he's telling Tim like, do it. And Tim's like, well, but so that was something that I'm almost wondering if this is Batman being a little panicked of the situation that he thinks that he's going to have better control of the ghost dragons but I don't know why you would send Robin after probably one of the biggest martial artists aside from, you know, Lady Shiva or something like that. So Well, and he's faced him before, too, like, yeah. like Robin mentions. But at the same time, Robin has gotten away by the skin of his teeth every, exactly, exactly. every single time. So I would have thought that Batman and Robin would have done both of these together, but they both can't be in the same place uh, at the same time. Uh, I love the shot of on 11 the art i don't know of is is really up to par here but hey I rob th- yes just to piggyback on what you said before you get into the art this is where the the fact that the narration is done by tim drake and not mm-hmm. bruce wayne or a uh, third person really in uh i don't know what I'm, word i'm looking for but really engrosses you as a reader because you're kind of like why is batman doing this and tim drake is yeah, kind of saying the story, why right. is batman doing this like on that one page yeah. on page 10 you know, he tells Tim to do something, and Tim's like, but, and he's like, do it, and Tim's like, I do it, but I don't like it, don't like the risk he's taking. So, it, it like you said, it enhances the story, and it, it, it's a really good uh, plot device that uh, Dixon does. So, sorry, but I wanted to say that yeah. before you went no, on to the art. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to interrupt uh, Terrence, interrupting Rob, and say that, like, yeah, I mean, like, Rob, you were saying earlier, like, Batman's, like, new angle or whatever, that, in Troika or whatever, 
like th- th- Robin mentions this like on page eleven. He like opens the concussion talking. I don't want to think his edge is coming back. Right. So it's it's he's they're directly addressing it in the story, and I and I'm assume that's like set up stuff for future stories, but I'm not sure. Ryan, okay. you sounded like Deadpool there with like I'm going to interrupt Terrence interrupting <laughs> Rob to, to go back to something Rob said to what Terrence said. Or I don't know what exactly you got the sound clip there, but I I, I heard that in Ryan Ryan Reynolds' voice, not Ryan from our oh, podcast wow. voice. Yeah. <laughs> I love that where he's like uh, oh a fourth wall break and a fourth wall break. That's like sixteen <laughs> walls. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of that kind of quip. Yeah. Not trying to knock the art here, but I feel like from page 12 to the end of the book, the art is okay, and that is the best that it gets is okay through here. I don't know if this is one of those things, like this is why in the 90s we didn't have somebody do three books at the same time. I think maybe some of the problem with the art might be the new paper. Like I mentioned earlier, the paper changed and it's a glossy. And the art is different because if you go back to issue 685, we were gaga over pages 17 and 18 with the coloring and the shading and all that on that paper. But I'm not sure so sure that that would look as good in this glossy paper because the old paper kind of blurs everything a little and it makes it cool. This makes everything crisp. But when there's like something's not quite right, it really shows that it's not not quite right. Like on 13, Lynx looks awful like yeah. so her face and everything the impurities are more obvious yeah and i wonder if it's just the the artist hadn't quite adapted to the new medium and how to work with it and i don't think digital coloring and stuff has come into play yet so to make some of those mistakes and stuff uh, you know hide them but um anyway yeah i agree with you totally on the art rob i i would agree with that for the most part but I believe this is all comic printing. I think the art is still the art regardless. It's like the artists aren't changing the way that they draw. They're just drawing on the same normal paper that they have because they haven't gone digital at this point. So DC is just changing the way that they are printing the actual comic books. So I, don't, I wouldn't believe the artists were told, hey, you're going to be on better paper, so you've got to draw better. Like Robin looks like a frog on 12. <laughs> Holding his bow staff, ducking down after the silver dragon, or silver dragon, the silver. Well, monkey. the eyes are all weird because they get, they give him real, real eyes, eyes. <laughs> which is like. What? And then Robin's running up the stairs on the bottom of page twelve. I'm like, he just looks like he farted up the stairs, and just like these looks like he's hunched over. Uh, yeah, and on twelve too, at the bottom yeah. of that, Batman's got one guy by the head and arm, and there's like. Just the arm and head of another guy. Another guy. No legs or body underneath him. It's really weird, yeah. So the best thing I can say about this, and I mean this 100% true, is that I'm, I can be forgiving of bad drawing if the story is really good, but you can have a really beautiful book and the story could be a drag and that will pull the art down sometimes. So as wonky as the art is in this latter part of the book... I think the story, Chuck Dixon is telling a really good story, and it's kind of like that cheesy Saturday morning kung fu, bad lip sync kind of a deal. So I'm like, okay, maybe that's kind of what they're going for. Robin, the Silver Monkey, and King Snake fight here. I I think the best drawn 
page four. Robin is on page sixteen in this throat fingered, if you will, or the like that the death blow or whatever. I love that because it 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 uh, it gives his costume like another practical like use, right, or whatever. When they talk about like oh the Kevlar gor- how do you say that gorget gorget yeah saves his life the collar like I, I love that that give his collar like a a practical use. Yeah, I I think the the fighting and everything is is really cool through here, and I like like you said when you've got a practical use for something, and that that is still referenced as the fight's going on. That it's kind of hard for Tim to breathe, and he says, "But somebody has to keep these two guys apart. Somebody better than me. Where's Batman? Where's Batman?" So Tim's got to do quick thinking again. And I was trying to figure out if he. Oh, he didn't cut the ropes. It was the silver monkey that had cut the shipping container chains or whatever that are holding it. They're tipping into the bay, and Robin's got to swing in, kick the silver monkey, and then, of course, by doing that, he is in the clutches of King Snake. King Snake's falls, and it's like, well, this. Uh, what does Tim say here? He says, if I'm not crushed, I'll be drowned. My first career is Robin began with King Snake, and it looks like it's going to end with him too, and Batman comes at the last minute to save the day. Now, in the synopsis that I read, Batman was basically fighting with all of the dragons, and the synopsis had said that Batman makes a deal with Lynx that to basically let Batman go so he could get to the docks, and in exchange for that, Batman's going to turn... Uh, his cheek to let Lynx have the gangs for the time being. And I'm having a hard time trying to find out where that was said in here. So of course they kind of, they don't say that, but they kind of imply it at the end of the, of the story where they say like Lynx isn't looking to pick a fight with Batman Batman anytime anytime soon. soon, Although she, although she's like in, in charge now. Yeah. So it ends with King snake being captured and the silver monkey has disappeared. Lynx is in charge and Batman and Robin are just kind of going back home. So this is kind of one of those stories where the heroes end up winning, but they really don't have much to show for it other than getting the King Snake out of the way. And I think Batman and Robin bit off a little more they can chew in this uh, story. So uh, what did you guys think of the conclusion of the Tent of Comics Robin little story they had here? So let's start with Ryan. I, I thought it was great. I mean, it's just... It's a kind of a cool three-issue, like I said earlier, like a bookend to his first encounter with uh, with King Snake. Although it does, it it has more loose ends than I thought it would. I kind of thought this would be like the end of it, and uh, I'm not really sure if King Snake shows up again. I think I think we found out that maybe he does, but I'm not sure what capacity. Yeah, I think it's at least an issue 91 that I know of so far. So he's quite a ways out if he doesn't appear somebody, somewhere else quicker. Yeah, but it's it's one of those cool stories that it, that serves as a book into something we read before, but it also kind of sets up a surprising amount of things that I hope uh, kind of show up again later. Because seeing Batman and Robin interact with with ninjas <laughs> is always is always yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. So, Terrence, did you notice that on page fifteen, the Silver Monkey kicks King Snake so hard he kicks his snake tattoo right off him because it's like <laughs> it's there and then it's not there. Yeah, pretty much agree with you guys so on what, what you said about the ending of this. Uh, it is kind of like Nightwing really disappears pretty fast in this. It is kind of a little bit anticlimactic, but it does kind of get the job done. It, it does feel like a little bit of a rush job or, or maybe a lot of bit of a rush job at the end. And I definitely do know that King Snake does come back. And but my favorite thing, though, at the very end, 
after the letter column. I love, 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 love that um, Batman Forever logo with the the Batman in the question mark. I remember the first yeah. time I saw that oh, and just yeah. lost my mind. I was, yeah, I was like I said, I was in second grade when that movie came out, and I could not stop drawing that. Yeah, on yeah. like all my homework at home and coloring books, I just kept drawing the question mark with the Batman logo inside of it. That's, it's just like, that was oh, an ingenious gosh. design. I had a, a T-shirt with that logo on it, and I just I could not wait that summer for that movie to come out. Dear friend, I like to start my notes to you as if we're already in the middle of a conversation. I pretend that we're the oldest and dearest friends as opposed to what we actually are, people who don't know each other's names, and met in a chat room where we both claimed we'd never been before. So speaking of letters, do we have any letters from the uh, letter column that you'd like to uh, partake in? These will be from the Robin book, since this is Everyone Loves a Drake, we'll uh, be reading the letters from the letter section of the Robin book. Yeah, so in Robin 22, we have the letters pertaining to Robin 17, which is this, which is part two of this three-part story we've been talking about. And let's see, let me pick out a couple ones. There are some ridiculously long ones in here, which I'm not going to read. But <laughs> right, I, I think I think people got into the into the mindset of like, oh, if I write a gigantic long letter, they have to print it, and I'll see my name in the book because they want you know. They, I put so much effort into it. They'll have to, they'll have to respond, right? Um, but uh, but there's a few good ones in here. So earlier I talked, to, we talked about um, the paper change, the you know the, this glossy paper, and uh, and and somebody here does comment on this, uh, and this is this is from Michael Foschini from Treviso, Italy, and it says, um, "Dear Jordan, I'm not angry." I learned that Robin had been upgraded to the dreaded glossy format. Oh, you should, came you should read it in an Italian accent, though. Yeah, oh man, the dreaded That'll just be, accent. No, I'm sorry. I, I, yeah. I would, but yeah. that would that would probably end up be, uh, being deemed culturally uh, yeah, uh, inappropriate. I, uh, but, uh, I already offended everyone from Alabama in the last podcast. But, well, yeah. I, well, you can ask you can ask my wife. Every every um, accent or something I try to do always starts somewhere, and it always de-evolves into the same ridiculous <laughs> Italian accent. Like yeah. an Italian accent. Yeah. No matter, I could start talking, you know, it doesn't matter. It always <laughs> reverts. El senor, I don't the talk, and then now I'm an Italian. It always goes to, yeah. <laughs> it's awful. It's all that Super Mario it's, Brothers. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. It's, that's, I think that's related, yeah. Okay, so here we go. Dear Jordan, I'm not angry. I learned that Robin had been upgraded to the dreaded glossy format. Then came Robin number 17. I noticed that Steve Lieber was credited on the cover, and that's when I knew my judgment would be positively biased. I opened the book and felt lucky because of John Wellington's colors. He ranks among my favorites, so I'm not disappointed. Instead, I feel rewarded. The story was a touch of magic. Chuck Dixon outdid himself. King Snake was portrayed in such a powerful manner. Then there's Tim. Gorf, believe me, I've never watched soaps on TV. I'm not a sucker for romance in any way, but I can't get enough of Tim's affair with Ariana. Pages 7 and 8 get my unconditional praise. On one page, Ariana has just run away from Robin. Tim was wearing no mask, but there's no mistaking which persona is really living that scene. Leaving him standing in a tingling storm of shattered glass, corpses, and mindless violence. Then on the next page, this very special young woman is admitting her love for this person whom she can no longer understand. This leaves the readers with new questions. Will the two be able to share their secrets? Is there room for love in Robin's life? 
Given Chuck's serious approach to Tim's love life, I trust these questions will find answers in due time, answers that are not as simplistic and frustrating as the usual ways these topics are handled in comics. Love's never easily found, slash accepted, slash recognized, slash lived, slash left by anyone. I'm finally losing it. I'm really buying a comic book for the romance. Luckily, I can still pretend to buy it for the great Waringo covers and Gorfinkel letters pages. Thrill me, guys. From Michael Foschini from Treviso, Italy. And uh, the response is, can you keep a secret, Michael? I, too, read Robin for the romance. Now don't go telling <laughs> nobody, especially not my wife. Yeah. And I, I, wonder okay. why, I wonder why um, is the glossy format that dreaded? I, I, I wonder, like, was there a big stink of it in the day, back in the day when this, the switch happened? No, I do remember, I, well, I do remember, well, maybe Robin, I have different recollections of this. Go, go ahead, Rob, what were you going to say? <laughs> No, I I just remember getting the glossy uh, one of that first issue going. This is on really good paper. I I like the way that it felt, and the book seemed a little thicker. And I was like, they're they're really caring about these comics. They're putting on so much better paper. Like the color just leaps right off of it. So I I never got that. I was when I read letters of like, why do people not like the glossy paper? I think it's really good rather than that porous grainy paper that it lo- always looked like the colors just bled everywhere and sometimes some of the older like older 80s and 70s comics i'm like man if those were just look at the stuff that dc reprints now that was printed way back then on much better paper it looks so so good so uh what was your take on that see i remember people being against it just because of the tradition like people have been reading comics on that paper for decades and now to have this paper it was just because it was something different same reason why people didn't like cds because they liked because they had cassettes or they didn't like cassettes because they had you know vinyl records um but also because the price jump you know it went up you know 50 cents um from you know a dollar 50 to a dollar 95 and then if you've, you're getting 10 or 12 or you know 20 books a month and all of a sudden they all just went up you know you just your budget for comics, you know, it seems silly, like, oh, 50 cents, but, you know, this is 20 years ago, and when you multiply it by, you know, how many books, because people back then read a lot more books because they were cheaper, and so, you know, and yeah. we're not too far out, like, here it is, this book came out in, what, 96? You know, when I first started reading in 89, so now we're only talking, you know, seven seven years or so, the books were 75 cents. Some of them were 65 cents. So now in like a six or seven year span, you went from buying books at 60, 75 cents to now they're almost two bucks each. You know, we haven't really seen that. I mean, DC did Drawing the Line at 299 uh, before the new 52. Right. And now they're going to 399. So it's been almost like 10 years and they've gone up a dollar. Imagine, you know, tripling in price in just a, a five or six year span like it mm-hmm, did yeah. here. Uh, and then you take into account that just people are traditionalists and don't like change. And comic book people tend to be, you know, even more on <laughs> yeah, that spectrum. That, right. that I think that I remember a lot of that going on i didn't even pay attention shows what i know yeah <laughs> <laughs> see i remember the only thing i remember about it is that um you know i i obviously was very young at the time where the, when these books were coming out and i didn't get them regularly most of my issues like were around the nightfall era because that's kind of what i was into i, I enjoyed reading those and or at least looking at the art and i just remember the paper and then i remember my dad just showed up one day with 
with a book that had the glossy paper. And I was like, oh, this is special. What is this? Like, I, and I picked up right on it because I'm a tactile person. I, you know, I notice things like this and I'm like, the paper's different. This is great. And he's like, oh, it's, I just got it from this special store. And he just kind of played it up like he knew what he was talking about or he got me a special comic book. And really, it's just because they changed the paper. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, and and so honestly, kind of yeah, that's so funny. I, I, that's such a dad moment to like just be yeah. like, oh yeah, special store. I take the take all the credit. Yeah, I, I had to drive five five hours to get this, so I hope you appreciate it, Ryan. <laughs> Better yeah. take out the trash. I actually prefer. I guess it would be like Matt or Matted Maddie. I don't know what it's called, but like the kind of paper that the Walmart yeah. hundred page books are on, where it's oh, not yeah. quite glossy, but yeah. it's a better quality. I prefer that over the glossy. It's thicker. Yeah. I think they. I think that's in the press release. There's some kind of slightly thicker paper. Yeah. Oh man, there are some good. There are actually some good letters in here. Okay, this is from Paula Di Amario from Hampton, MA. I think that's Massachusetts. Yes, yeah, should be. Do I know my states? <laughs> okay, I know my states. Dear Gorf, in Robin number seventeen, you ran a letter from Jody Revinson asking whether Dick Grayson's early encounter with Two Face was newly created or was in fact a part of Batman family history. And we we've talked about this on previous issues where he introduced it as a flashback, but then later on wrote the in, wrote the quote real story in uh, Robin Year One. And back to the letter. I wish you had answered this question. As an avid longtime reader of all the Batman books, past and present, I would appreciate it if you would reference past events with a small notation as to which book the event took place in. This would greatly enrich my Batman reading enjoyment. I would also like to suggest using a sequential reading numbering system for Batman Detective and Robin, as is used with the Superman books. In closing, let me say that I have been enjoying Robin's issue number one. It's been a wonderful addition to the Batman universe. Paula Diamario from Hampton, Massachusetts. And the response is... Thank you for that last compliment, Paula. Few people criticizing this title frustrate me as much as those who comment, Robin is superfluous. Huh? I can only assume that people espousing that opinion simply haven't read Robin and don't know what they are missing. Robin rocks, and I am most assuredly not being biased when I say that. The omission of an answer to the letter you mentioned was unintentional, and coincidentally, I've already answered it in the beginning of this column. Okay, so to go back to a a response in 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 a... a uh, letter we're not reading because it's too long. He says, to answer your questions, the official Batman canon consists of any post-Batman Year One stories and events referred to in them from pre-Year One stories. Dick Grayson's loss to Two-Face, as chronicled in Robin number zero, took place sometime in Dick's first year as Robin, though the story was not told before zero month. And, and, and like I said, a couple years from this point in November of '96, Chuck Dixon does make it a reality in Robin Year One, right. and then he's and then uh, Gorf goes back to the other letter and says the numbering system used on the cover of all Superman titles wouldn't really work on the Batman titles since storylines are often continued intra-title rather than inter-title. Though we do strive to reflect the events of our sister Bat books in each individual title. Boy, that sounds confusing to me. Uh, that that was there's, there's more on the next page. He keeps answering it. Yeah. yeah. As a standard policy, the Bat writers incorporate reference information in dialogue or narration during scenes that invoke past events. We Bat editors do shy away from these asterisks and footnotes so common and so distracting in comics because we find them to be, well, really distracting. If you really, really want to find specifically where a past event was established, write and ask Scott Peterson. He always knows answers to that stuff off the top of his head. Tell him I sent you. You know, I have his email. I should ask. (laughs) But... (laughs) 
years later, it it would have been nice just because you go back to random Robin number twenty two or whatever. You're like, where did where did, what are they talking about? We've been asking ourselves those, these questions right. as we read these issues too. So yeah, Marvel used to get a little obnoxious with that, like Spider Man and stuff. It was just like now it does bad yeah, when there's have every like a, other panel. Like a, it was yeah. Hey kids, remember this? Blah blah blah. Yeah. That, that gets distracting. Right. But that was something that uh, the super like they were referring to Superman titles were all <clears> telling. <throat> one giant story so you would get the triangles in there to know oh this yeah. is 19 and you got 20 even though they mm-hmm. in their individual books maybe telling a separate story the overall narrative is going through and you still get the order correct yeah the yeah. correct order and they brought that back a few years later and i've got all of those when they do the the new krypton stuff and i i appreciate that because especially when you're a even if you're a seasoned comic book reader like we are you get the stacks. You, you you get things out of order, and you're like, oh, man, if I want to start reading this, right. what order should I read it in? And when the story is that sprawling, it, it's nice to have an ordering system of some sort. Yeah, do you guys definitely. ever do this with your stack where you have your to-read stack and you get way behind, and there's a book and you've, like, read it, but then it somehow it gets in the, to, the to-read book pile, and then, like, five months go by, and then you start reading it, and you just got to have I read this? I think I, I read, read this. this. Before. Yeah. Something happened. Yeah, that's such a weird feeling to, to be like, am I my deja vu is this uh, just a recap page but yeah i don't know if yeah. we have time to read the next articles but if you read the reply to the next articles there's a certain character who starts with an a and ends with a zazriel who's mentioned Did i know you see that? yeah there's i like i said there were good letters there's actually uh, there's like three more that are actually really good okay here's the next letter and this one has some the reason i'm reading this one is because i like the response and it has some things that uh lead into things we might want to actually pick up and read later. So it says, Dear Gorfin crew, a word about Robin number 17. Ouch, you guys are too hot. And he used like five O's. Uh, Chuck Dixon is a master at creating engaging stories and developing characters. All of you folks have taken a good character and made him great. Tim Drake is the best character in comics, period. Man, I think we agree. Yes, even better than Batman. It's great to see both sides of Tim and to see him work on his own. But the work I've enjoyed most is Tim's teams up, team-ups with Huntress. They treat each other as equals and their verbal parrying is priceless. One thing, more than a spoiler, I, 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 don't, I disagree. <laughs> uh, one thing I have to admit, and it seems pretty silly, is that I have become very attached to the new Robin, so much so that I honestly get nervous when he goes into fights. <laughs> Knowing Tim's inexperience and the fact that he's without backup much of the time creates great tension. Quote, hearing his own thoughts and worries really adds to the tension. Tim is a breath of fresh air in the Batman mythos. Please keep him around for a long time. And again, he uses like five O's. That goes the same for Chuck Dixon. He's worth every cent you pay him. After all, he writes for the best monthly comic there is, and he has the best character to write for in Robin. I do have one other plug to make while I'm at it. Could you gentlemen and lady please see what you can do to bring back Batgirl? Have a reader's poll. I know there is an audience for her. The success of the Catwoman and Robin monthlies has shown that people want more from the world of Batman. There needs to be a Batgirl. By the way, the new paper and printing process for this issue is worth the $1.95 price. Hope you continue it from now on. Robin deserves the best, and so do his readers. From SYIT, Lynn Stesman, Omaha, Nebraska. And, of course, as we all know, SYIT means CN30. And he says, CN30, right? Oh, that was easy. Now try MTGGLF. And I think that's something that Gorf says all the time. Like many things pre-Zero Hour, Batgirl is a fond memory. Barbara Gordon is now Oracle, a very viable character in her own right. 
check out her cameo appearances in Azrael and her upcoming co-starring role in Black Canary slash Oracle Birds of Prey. I know I've been promising this one for a while, but it's nearing completion, and I assure you that your patience will be rewarded. It's by Chuck Dixon. You know him, right? Gary Frank, Incredible Hulk, and John Dell from Lobo. And when it hits the stands in November, you will never look at superheroes the same way again. Now, did that end up being straight birds of prey or was that like a special called black canary slash oracle birds of prey? i think that ended up you remember i think it ended up just being the birds of prey if i remember that correct terrence see i i thought it was the miniseries it's kind of like uh nightwing was where they had the miniseries and then they had yeah. the series um so i'm pretty sure there was a that did not just go right into it dc loves it makes me want to look that up because we'll get to it in the next letter the title That's here's crazy. this is uh from wikipedia the title series began with Chuck Dixon's one-shot, Black Canary slash Oracle, Birds of Prey, which had a cover date of 1996, but the release date was November 1995. Initially, the two heroines featured were Barbara Gordon, formerly Batgirl, and Dinah Lance, currently Black Canary. From the beginning, Canary was written as a passionate, passionate and idealistic. In an interview with Comics Bulletin, Dixon described his choice as a fertile clash of values. Dinah's more idealistic approach is at the heart of this book. When so, I does then it goes into the Gail Simone era. So it says she took over in two thousand and three, and then it just says publication volume one, January nineteen ninety nine to April two thousand and nine. So I guess the one shot came out in ninety five, and then the series came out in ninety nine, and that did um, wow. one hundred and twenty seven issues. So that was that's a pretty good run. So this one shot, okay, so then they go into Birds of Prey. Okay. This one shot is actually pretty expensive. It's like 30 bucks on eBay. Yeah. But I want to read it because of what this next letter says. Okay, this is from Dowd Omer from Covington, Kentucky, and he says, Robin Files, Robin number 17 was great. I was glad to see the return of King Snake and Lynx. I always liked Lynx better, but in this issue I was rooting for King Snake mainly because of the odds against him. Lynx, since her betrayal of the King Snake, can finally be on her own. She was always a great character, but was overshadowed by King Snake. Now Lynx can grow and be a recurring nemesis for Robin and even Batman. I was glad to see Huntress in this issue, but she seemed to be in the way. I think there should have been more of a lead-in as to why she was involved. She is too good of a character to be used as a scapegoat. I hope Huntress will turn up again and make up for the bad way she was used. <laughs> From Dado Mayor Cummington, Kentucky. P.S. Bring back the spoiler. And the response is, as soon as we can, buddy, Lynx will be featured in Black Canary slash Oracle Birds of Prey, by the by. So that makes me want to get that issue because hmm. I want to see what happens with Lynx. Yeah, and there there actually was several Black Canaries, I'm sorry, Birds of Prey, before the series because looking at the uh, trade paperbacks, the first trade paperback reprints Black Canary, Oracle, Birds of Prey, number one, which we talked about, the miniseries Birds of Prey, Manhunt, one through four, then Birds of Prey, Revolution, number one, and a story from Showcase 96, number three. The second trade paperback called Old Friends, New Enemies features Birds of Prey, Wolves, number one, Birds of Prey, Batgirl, number one, Birds of Prey, one through six. So it seems like wow. they had a, 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 a few one-shots and hmm. showcase and miniseries. Just like Robin yeah. before they right. made a real series. Exactly. Yeah. That sounds very familiar. All right. I got one more letter here that I think I we should read. Okay. This is from Tony Sabart in Los Angeles, California, and it says, Dear Gorf, though the cover of Robin 17 was very nice, I didn't like it otherwise. 
What? <laughs> oh, he didn't like the issue. Yeah. I have never liked King Snake. He has no presence, and I cannot accept his almost effortless victory over Lynx and the Ghost Dragons. He's blind, he's greatly outnumbered, and the Ghost Dragons had guns. Creating a feeling of realism in a comic book is an almost useless task, but there is a limit to what I can believe. <laughs> There's like, a limit. Like, in the, <laughs> like, like a few years from now, you're going to make this computer not accept the rules of friction. Exactly. I was just uh, thinking that when this guy <laughs> listened to our podcast and we said that, he'd be like, yeah, damn straight. No keyboard can do that. Although the issue had lots of fluidity. The art, oh no, he didn't think so. The art was uneven, he says. Tim looked pretty good on pages 6 and 7, but not so good on page 19. The Huntress doesn't look very good anywhere. Batman looks great throughout. Man, this is just what, this is <laughs> this what, is what said. you said, Terrence. How, how great Batman looks. Yeah. <laughs> are you, are you, is your, is Tony Sabre your, your alias, perhaps? Uh, I, the, the, uh, I'm getting in trouble with the witness relocation people here, so I may, I may have up, to really. Shut up, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Next issue may really come from a bunker somewhere in the woods. <laughs> Quiet, <Yeah>. Tony. <laughs> The Huntress doesn't look very good anywhere. Batman looks great throughout, but most of the supporting characters were mostly a mess. I hope you can do something about a regular art team. <laughs> from Tony Sabart, wow. allegedly, from Los Angeles, California. And the response is, To me, King Snake being blind and still trouncing an entire gang, gang of armed thugs is precisely what does give him presence. And they do not respond about his art comments. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you know, one thing I've, I I meant to bring up in the discussion was that uh, they do mention like King Snake being white and how because yeah. I was reading that and I was like, you know, it's maybe I don't know if it's PC and uh, uh, maybe it was okay or acceptable twenty years ago to have like this white guy that like runs Chinatown, but they but I was impressed that Chuck Dixon brings this up in the story where he's like. How much longer do you think a random white guy is going to be able to take control of Chinatown? And I thought that was at least interesting that they bring it up in the story. Yeah, yeah agreed. Agreed. The best thing about this three-issue arc is that now Rob has the inspiration for to write the next radio drama, Harvey Bullock, licensed professor. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I can start writing that story. We probably better end the episode here. Or episodes, depending on how this bad boy. No, 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 no. We cannot end this episode until you give me, Ryan, and all of our listeners a little sneak preview of your bat cow. Oh my! And that four hundred and five followers we just got on the Twitter. We just lost four hundred of them. We're now back to five. <laughs> so you know, maybe we should. Maybe your next audio drama should be an original thing where it is, you know, Harvey Bullock, English teacher or whatever, <laughs> college professor. It's going to be like twelve episodes long of paper. Like, is Batman frigging going to show up in this thing? I yeah. know. So he just keeps eating donuts, <laughs> and he's trying to teach about quantum physics. And I swear he's talking about changing oil in a car. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is where we're going to end this episode. So thanks for following the show. And on the behalf of Terrence, Ryan, this is Rob, your professor, signing off saying we will see you guys on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. 
the show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respective copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguins lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at Robin ELTD Podcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the BatmanUniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media, also over at our host, TBU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.